Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the CX Cast. I'm your host, Angelina Jenis. Co-hosting with me for this episode is Adele Sage. She's a principal advisor with Forrester's Customer Experience and Employee Experience Council. She has been with Forrester for 16 years, five of which she was an analyst on the CX research team. Hi, Adele. Hi, how are you guys? Great. And we have today Katie Tynan, Principal Analyst on our EX Research Team. Hi, Katie. Hey. Katie, thank you for joining us today. We are excited to talk about the business of belonging. Ask any CEO if they are committed to a diverse workforce that feels like they belong, and of course they're going to say yes, but... Your research into this suggests that a lot of those initiatives for having diversity and inclusion and a feeling of belonging for all are actually failing. Did I get that right? Yeah, I think a lot of people struggle with this work and they struggle with how to do it effectively and not because they're not smart people, but because this is kind of complicated. So we'll dig into that a little bit today and talk a little bit about what I heard and some of the research that I did regarding how companies are doing it successfully and and why some of them maybe aren't. I noticed that you titled the report The Business of Belonging, and you did not use the words diversity or inclusion in your title. I'm guessing that was intentional. Can you talk a little bit about that? So we've seen this practice evolve so much over the last 10 to 15 years. And, and even before that, people have been thinking about this topic for a long time. And initially, when organizations started thinking about it, they thought about it from the diversity perspective. As in, we're not as diverse as we need to be. Let's go get some of that. So it was really considered a hiring problem. Let's just go hire a more diverse workforce and then we'll be all set. And very quickly after trying that, a lot of organizations discovered, hey, we can hire people who are different and who bring great diverse qualities, but they don't stay and they don't feel comfortable here. And so that was when inclusion really came into the picture of we need to do more than just hire a diverse workforce. We need to create an inclusive work environment so that those people feel like they can be comfortable and bring their whole selves to work and feel like they're a part of something. And then more recently, we've also seen an evolution looking at the equity space, the fairness, the structural inequality that exists in some organizations. So rather than trying to cram all of those words into the title, we focused on one of the things that we have heard is the core outcome. When you do this work right, what happens is people agree with the idea that they belong somewhere. They feel that lovely sense of being part of a community and belonging in your organizations. It is the business of belonging, meaning that ultimately the work you're doing is to create an environment where people feel that sense that they belong. Sounds challenging and also sounds like you have to set both short-term and long-term goals. What sort of organizations are actually making progress in this and doing well? So one of the things we've seen, and it goes back to your original question about who's struggling with it, is a lot of organizations, when they first started thinking about this, said, oh, we know what we'll do. We'll hire a chief diversity officer, and then we'll be all set. And when we see companies silo their diversity and inclusion efforts and maybe put one person at the top of it and have it be a separate function, it doesn't work very well. What we've seen, though, is the data is coming in. So 
again, 10 years ago when these practices were immature, we didn't have a lot of data that said, how do companies perform relative to one another? How do diverse companies perform relative to more homogenous companies? Well, now we have that data. And what we see is diverse companies outperform their homogenous competition in every possible way. What we're seeing in successful organizations is that it's not a siloed situation. It's that good DEI strategy is just good organizational and business strategy. So yes, it's complicated because it touches a lot of parts of your organization and it needs to be an integrated strategy, but ultimately the outcomes that are created by really great DEI strategy are so evident in every lens of performance. Adele, you speak with a lot of our clients in CX who are thinking about how EX plays into all of this. Have you been hearing anything around diversity and inclusion, or is that not even on folks' radar yet? I think there's a mixture. I certainly hear some folks who are interested in it, but I think for anyone who is, you know, at at their core, a customer experience professional, it's typically not in the sort of adjacent employee experience components, but I think it's becoming much more relevant. So I certainly shared this report with all of my members, hoping that it would pique some of their interest, because I think it is really important. And it it does bleed over into the customer experience components. Yeah, I can see that if you think about our devotees research, where we're talking about who our important customers are, if those customers are diverse as well, then it seems to follow that we need to think about how to best serve them. And that's Mm -hmm. something, Katie, you were seeing as well, that there is this connection between who we're trying to serve and who is on the employee side, either creating products and services or delivering them, right? Yeah. So I'll just give you a great example of this, which is in the talk that I recently did at some of our event summits. There was a company that made hand soap dispensers and their hand soap dispensers worked really, really, really well if your hands are white. And if your hands are any other pigmentation level, they don't work at all. You are not recognized by the hand soap dispenser. That's an absolutely perfect example of where a homogenous team didn't recognize a problem with their product because they didn't have any people of color on their team who stuck their hand under the soap dispenser and said, hey, look, this doesn't work for me. In fact, what happened was this soap dispenser went totally viral because it was, in among other places, I mean, they have them all around the world and in airports and everywhere else, but they had them in a Facebook office in India. The employees noticed this problem and took videos of themselves using it and posted it on to Facebook and beyond. And it was not such a great thing from a PR perspective. I think what we see is that organizations do better at capturing new markets, do better at relating to their customers when their employees resemble their customers in terms of the demographics of who's in the organization. And in some cases, like if you're a tech company, everybody uses technology. And so you should probably look like all of the people in the world if your organization wants to relate to those people and be able to think and design products for and serve those people as customers. For the most part, the general consensus is that your workforce should resemble your customer base and in turn the population globally that you serve. Katie, when we were talking about the ways in which CX and EX are related, I was thinking about how in the report you talk about the ways in which diversity and inclusion leaders are often 
not succeeding in their roles for any number of reasons. And it reminded me of the same kind of parallel we see with customer experience executives, especially like chief customer officers who are brought in and then ultimately don't succeed. Angelina, this is you know really in, in your research wheelhouse. I'm curious, what are some of the reasons you're seeing for these leaders not succeeding? So first of all, there's some great stats that say that the majority of chief diversity officers were hired within the last three years. We also see that there's a tremendous amount of turnover in that role. And I would say what we heard certainly in our research is, first of all, that people who are hired into that role have an expectation that they're going to have some accountability and some resources in order to drive change in that organization. And unfortunately, many, many CDOs report that they are not given any resources, that they are not provided with executive leadership and sponsorship, and that in fact, they are simply put into this role. And in some cases, that role is assigned to people who have other full-time jobs in the organization, like the chief people officer gets told they're now the chief diversity officer too. So I think many times it's because that person is not set up for success to begin with, because there isn't an organizational level commitment to making progress. So it's more of a surface, well, we'll just say we have a chief diversity officer and that will help us from a PR perspective. So that's really the differentiator that I see is whether or not the organization has a true commitment to making change and to giving some of these people that they appoint in leadership roles, resources and tools and accountability to do the work. So it sounds similar in that We'll hire somebody to say it's their problem, just like with customer experience. Oh, the customer experience team is worried about customer experience, but really these things are everybody's responsibility. Yes. And in the organizations that are more mature and more successful, we see exactly that, that if you ask who's accountable for their DEI practice, the first answer is, well, if you ask the CEO, they would tell you they were accountable. But if you ask anyone in the organization, they would tell you that they are accountable, that it is really It feels like a cultural shift that the entire organization feels that this is an important value. And I know we see that on the CX side as well, that when organizations take on that value of being customer obsessed and looking at customer experience as a central focus for the entire organization, that it changes the way the entire organization thinks. But if you just appoint someone and say, this is your job and this is your responsibility, and if you fail, we'll just fire you. That's not a recipe for really any kind of sustainable change. Really interesting. And I love how in your report, you have these great visuals that show, you know, the components to belonging, and you've been hitting on these inclusion, accountability, you mentioned also transparency and listening. What do you mean by listening? Is that voice of the employee? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. So it's structured programs. So structured voice of the employee programs and engagement surveys and pulse surveys. It's also focus groups. And it's also learning to listen to one another. So a big practice of DEI is, again, going back to that sense of belonging, creating an environment where people feel like they can ask questions and where they can say, I'm uncomfortable. And that takes practice. So It is the structured process of listening that I think a lot of organizations do, both with employees and customers and beyond. But it's also this skill that the whole organization is developing, which is an empathetic listening practice to really hear one another and to get to know your colleagues and get to know the people who are around you 
as human beings, as opposed to, you know, that's the person that I throw this wreck over the wall to. <laughs> it's very much a sense of bringing humanity into the equation and finding a way for everyone to be their full authentic selves at work. I know I love being my full authentic self at work. So I definitely can appreciate that. <laughs> I have one more question. Fire away. You defined a lot of terms in the report. So things like diversity, inclusion, equity. Given that you had to define them, I'm guessing that often people define them incorrectly. Which one do you think is the most typically you know, misunderstood element of belonging and why? And, and what can we do to correct it? That is such a great question. And the answer is so easy, which is the equity piece is the piece that people are really struggling with right now, either because they don't really understand what we mean by equity or because they can't see it. We use a lot of analogies in this work. So the first thing I'll say is equity is a little bit like having a nut allergy and being in an organization full of people who don't have a nut allergy. So if you belong to an underrepresented group, there may be barriers in that organization that are holding you back, but those barriers are invisible to the people for whom they don't apply. So one of the things we do in equity work is we try to see those barriers more clearly. We try to see the things that are holding people back and we try to find ways to create opportunity for those people who belong to those underrepresented groups who are having challenges. So that's one piece of equity and one of the ways we define it. The other way, which I like, and again, I use in the talk is a little bit of a gardening analogy. So if you go plant a vegetable garden and your vegetables don't grow, you don't blame the vegetable. You go find fertilizer or you water them or you, you know, put them in a better place where they have better soil or more sun. One of the things that we have seen historically with diversity work, and I don't want to pick on her too much, but Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, was all about how women are responsible for their lack of representation because they step away from the table at critical times in their career. We know that that is an issue and a challenge. But we also know that there are all kinds of other systemic barriers that are preventing women from being represented in the way they need to be in leadership roles, in technology particularly. Equity work is about not blaming the lettuce when it doesn't grow. It's about creating a better environment for that growth and taking ownership and accountability for that environment rather than putting it off on the underrepresented group. Yeah, I love these analogies. They're so great. Analogies are always helpful for us to grasp these new concepts. And I think you're presenting in your report some fresh thinking on this that wasn't working in its original form and makes me very optimistic for what organizations are going to be doing moving forward with diversity and inclusion. That's my hope. I certainly hope that people read this report and start to think about some of these things as things they feel connected to, things they feel like they have an influence on and things they feel like are important and valuable to do, not just because it's the right thing to do, right? We should not discriminate against people, but at the same time, because they are good for business, they're good for your environment, they're good for engagement, they're good for customers. There's just so many reasons to do this work. So my hope is that that's what we're helping people do with this report is see how to do it a little more clearly. And that report is, again, The Business of Belonging, How Equity for Employees Drives Equity for Your Brand. Katie, thank you for joining today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
And Adele, thanks for co-hosting with me. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. And we will be back next week with the next episode of the CX Cast. Bye.